Hello and welcome to the first NFL playoff edition of the Punt Return Podcast. Wildcard weekend is here. Playoffs. We're finally at the playoffs. Nick, James, how are we going, boys? Very well, mate. Very well. How are you? Doing well. Doing doing pretty good. Uh, we just want to uh, send up our uh, obligatory thoughts and prayers to uh, the rest of Australia who's currently under fire right now. So hopefully that'll be a resolve so we can enjoy some NFL football over the course of the next few days. Um, and speaking of those, I think, uh, James, you got out of the danger zone over the last week. Uh, you went down to visit some family. Yeah, it was really smoky, though. I think it's sort of right in the middle of it getting smokier and more bushfires around there. So Balmoral, I think, was sort of wiped out, which is about 15, 20k away from mm. uh, Bowral. So you're pretty scary and pretty awful all around. Speaking of uh, fires and Black Monday, it sounds like Jason Garrett is uh, finally gone from the Dallas Cowboys yeah. just a couple of minutes ago, a hot off the press here. Um, so lucky we are running a little bit late, uh, Nick, um, who decided to go see Frozen 2 instead of, <laughs> instead of doing his <laughs> NFL research. But, you know, appropriate. It's that time of the year. But, uh, yeah. Jason Garrett, finally, finally gone. I think this is the best decision for the Cowboys. Um, it's not official yet, but it's sounding like uh, it will be official. It sounds like they're just going to keep cuddling him and wait for his, his uh, contract to run out instead of just firing him. I think Bel- Belichick just kind of laughs on people showing empathy and heart um, around, the, around the NFL. <laughs> wouldn't the yeah. empathy and, sorry, I was just going to say, wouldn't the empathy and heart for Jason Garrett, who's apparently a beloved, you know, Jerry Jones family member, wouldn't it be nicer if they told him on Black Monday so he'd have this week to potentially interview in places like Cleveland or New York? Yeah. Rather I don't than know leaving that, him hanging? Uh, Dallas do things so much differently than the rest of the league. So they it's do. just, it's, it's it, it, it blows my mind. They should have, should have let him go three or four years ago and, and maybe we're talking about them hosting the, uh, Seattle Seahawks, uh, on Monday rather than the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. He's, in, from my perspective, he's, he's the weak link in, in Dallas and has been for a number of years. Um, what they've been able to achieve with him is kind of in spite of him, I think, rather than because of him. So uh, I, I think he, he was the difference between them not making playoffs and, and potentially playing this week. Yeah, and I agree, and that's uh, one of my takeaways later on in the show. Uh, before we get to the, the, the final results of the regular season, um, we just want to mention Dane Roy, friend of Stats Insider, friend of uh, the Wooten Y Show as well. Uh, big fan of Dane Roy. Um, he's declared for the NFL draft. He tweeted out a statement after an incredible finish to his college career that ended up uh, with a Ray Guy Award uh, nomination where he got to go to the final awards and put on the swag. He, he, he dresses up all right when he, when he doles it on. The old Day Roy, quite low key handsome, handsome bloke. Um, but yeah, the end of, yeah, end of the University of Houston Cougars. I think he goes down as their greatest ever punter and, uh, think he's a a chance to, to potentially get drafted. We'll wait and see, but it's hard with punters on on where they can go. It can, it can range anywhere, but he'll definitely end up, um, in a training camp and, and given his boot a a real chance to, to make it on a roster. Yeah, definitely. Certainly think he's a chance to be, to be playing NFL football next season. Whether, whether or not he gets drafted is not the, you know, it's not the be all and end all. Especially as a kind of an, an overage potential draftee and, and potential recruit, uh, he's a bit older than most of the guys who are declaring for the draft at, at this stage. But um, looks certainly a chance to be playing NFL football ne- next season. I mean, Brandon Whedon got drafted at his age. Hayden Hurst is about a forty-seven-year-old rookie tight end. So uh, you know, there's you know <laughs> first round as well. Yeah, exactly. So punting, maybe, maybe the age boosts him up. I'm going to pencil it in right now, Dane Roy. First round pick in the NFL draft. Um, let's go. <laughs> and doing it for all the bald Melburnians as well. So, 
Shout out to Dane for that. Well done. Wonderful. Um, Let's talk uh, previous week. So the last week of the regular season, week 17 can always be a little bit difficult to to meander through with all the different uh, motivations at uh, at play. But uh, we did have a lock of the week there uh, last week. Nick and I, uh, in your absence, uh, James, over 48 in Tampa Bay, Atlanta, lobbed in overtime. Thank the Lord for Jameis Winston, our 30-30, our first 30-30 saviour with the uh, just a poetic pick six in overtime to uh, end end the season and, and push that lock of the week over. We finished 12-5-1 in the regular season on our uh, locks of the week. So um, thank you, Jameis Winston, because uh, that was that was magic. It's pretty amazing. I can certainly imagine an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary in the next couple of years about that season for, for Jameis Winston. I can just imagine that intro. What if I told you yeah. <laughs> that one player could be the best quarterback in the league and, and the, the worst. worst quarterback in the league <laughs> at the same time. Um, yeah, it's, it's an unbelievable statistic. It is, and I love Jameis Winston coming out and saying that his season would be the greatest season of all time if you eliminated the 30 interceptions, which is <laughs> factually correct, but um, it's the biggest of ifs, um, unfortunately. Um, I, I always feel that interceptions are a little bit overrated, but when you kind of watch Jameis Winston, um, he could have had 40, but he could also have 20. So, I mean, he's still going to throw a lot of picks just the way that that he plays. Some of them are a little bit fluky, but uh, he seems to... He seems to toss a fair few, so you know maybe you can curve that. He's still only twenty five years old. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. Like he, you could start his career tomorrow from scratch, and he could still be a, still be a fantastic player in the league, and just eliminate the the last four years of his life. And he may very well start from scratch at, at a new franchise, yep. at another franchise. I thought the the comments straight after the game from Bruce Arians were were really interesting, really kind of scathing about Jameis Winston and, and how he's performed over the last couple of weeks. And, and this season, to be honest. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting off-season for Jameis Winston. Yeah, definitely. Um, and a shout-out to Dan, Dan Quinn for kicking that field goal and forcing it to overtime to gift us that uh, to that win <laughs> and that pick. Um, you're instrumental, and he was rewarded with a new... Uh, they, they're not firing Dan Quinn, and, and rightfully so. I mean, to, to go to, to go to 22-all in a Week 17 game against a, a below 500 team, you, you deserve the extension. Um, all right, long shots. Um, I finally finished the season with a win. AJ Brown, 100-plus yards, lobbed. I think... Uh, I I think I saw it around two dollars fifty when it finally came up. I can't remember. It might have been two forty, two fifty mark, but definitely over the two dollar mark. So um, he's been unbelievable, and I think he might have locked up rookie of the year potentially, offensive rookie of the year. Did you have any shares in AJ Brown, James? I think I did mention him as an outsider at one point, but I, I certainly didn't back him. Yeah, I, I I took Kyler and Josh Jacobs halfway through the year at, at different prices, so I kind of had a like an 80% market, and then I was like, oh, here we go, AJ Brown, and I think I, I managed to find $13 somewhere, and I've managed to kind of cover my tracks a little bit, so I'd be absolutely shocked if it's n- not one of those three, but uh, Nick, your long shot run, uh, you, you still had a win last week, one and one though, but uh, it's been a, an it all-time was, run, it's been an all-time run. It, it wasn't a massive one last week, I really thought Cincinnati were, were a really strong chance, uh, as, as we spoke about, especially in a Week 17 kind of matchup. Um, but yeah, James Winston, I thought he was going to go hard at that, uh, 5,000 passing yards for the season. So he didn't really get close. Yep. Um, not on the 360 that, that I was hoping. Well, the, the four, I think he needed 414 for the, the mark and, yep. uh, I think he ended up with 250 or something. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, it's been a good, it's been a fun year. Definitely. And, um, let's, let's talk best bets. I went one and two last week. Uh, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, the over being the only, only one. Jags producing, 
40 something points on their own completely blanketed me that that was a terrible under that never looked like winning but bloody duck hodges getting a safety in the final 4 minutes and push the total to from uh, 36 to 38 um that that's going to haunt me i mean out on duck hodges he was my savior against mason rudolph and now i just i cannot stand the both of them Unfortunately, so um, that was a brutal beat, but I guess we kind of got lucky with the Tampa Bay Atlanta. So you take the good with the bad. Bad, I think that kind of sums up NFL gambling. Really, you, you win some and you lose some at the death, and we've seen some all-time covers and losses this season um, in terms of totals and money lines. Um, more so in recent than recent seasons, it feels like there's been some real crazy ones this year. But uh, finished twenty-nine, twenty-one, and two. I think uh, fifty, just shy fifty-six percent uh, for the season. Um, I'll take that every year. Um, and twice on Sundays. Yeah, def- definitely take that. I mean, any, any time that you end up in, in the black is, is good times. Um, I was pretty similar for the season. I think I, I went two and one on, on the week. Uh, the Chiefs covered by half a point. Tampa Bay Atlanta over. Uh, the one loss was Denver. I, I thought they were a strong chance to cover, but uh, couldn't get it done, unfortunately, for the, the perfect week. Uh, but 31-21 on the season. Just under 60%. So, yeah, again, pretty happy with that. Yeah, outstanding. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll recap a lot of uh, James's future stuff. Uh, we'll go back, um, maybe maybe the Super Bowl episode, when we only have one game to cover, it might be a chance to, to look back at and look at all of James's uh, future stuff and some of the other stuff that we shouted out at the start of the show and, and our very first preview show to start the season. That might be something we do long term. But let's talk biggest takeaways from Week 17. And, James, uh, what have you got for us? Well, I was going to mention the Saints and the fact that somehow, some way, they've ended up 13 and 3 and still have to play on wildcard weekend. But I'd be lying if my biggest takeaway from week 17 wasn't actually that San Francisco Seattle game and how devastated I was to fall three centimeters short of winning the <laughs> NFC West title. Um, yeah, bitterly disappointed with that. And I can't, I can't. That's, can't, uh, pre- that's the worst penalty. Know. That's the worst penalty of the year. How do you take a, a delay a game there? And you finally trot Marshall Lynch out from the one-yard line in a real kind of time-is-a-flat-circle memory. Like It feels like, what year is this again? You finally decide to give it to Marshall Lynch, and the clock runs out. Pete Carroll, what are you doing? I was just about to say, if you can trust one franchise to screw it up from the one-yard line, it's the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. Give me the, the Seattle is, Seahawks. The, the, the weird thing with Seattle is you take 90 – well, I would. I take 99% of their franchise. I think they do so much right, but that 1% – often really does them in, and mm. it certainly didn't them in in a Super Bowl against yeah, New England. It exactly. certainly didn't them in last week as well. At the same time, they had a Super Bowl this decade, and they have multiple playoff performances and appearances, yep. and have, have, got, have run a really good franchise. They've had some they they've had some luck go their teams. way as well, though. They've, they recovered an onside kick off a, of a helmet. like They do. They're, they're yeah. sort of – they are. They're, well, yeah. <laughs> but that was – it was really disappointing. <laughs> the only good thing is that about half an hour later, an hour later – uh, Monterey won the Liga MX in Mexican soccer in okay. on a penalty shootout, so oh, that was wonderful. Oh, wow, that is really, really degenerative stuff. <laughs> um, but to be fair, yeah, to Seattle had no business winning that game. No, they were nineteen to one. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> James, James, how'd you go on the uh, Slovakian Division Three volleyball? <laughs> I tell you what, I would have needed something a little bit better from, uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of a name. I was going to say the Sputniks or something. Yeah. <laughs> needed to go about 400 KS. <laughs> um, all right, Nick, what's your biggest takeaway from week 17? This is, I guess this is a bit of a hot take and a bit controversial probably to some people, but I don't think the 
New England Patriots can win the Super Bowl. Uh, I've been saying that they're kind of on the way out for, for a, a number of weeks now, and that, that performance really, for me, put the nail in the coffin. Uh, I just don't see how they can beat the likes of the Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers, even the New Orleans Saints. I, I don't see how they can do it. Um, it, will, it will be a hell of a comeback, a hell of a recovery, and a hell of a run for the New England Patriots to, to win a chip again. Uh, this season, and I don't think they can do it. Mm. How many people have said that over the years and, and have ended up with egg yeah. on their face? This, yeah, this year feels different, though. It is something that I'll touch on in, in you know when we talk about their their match, but uh, I just don't I don't see it. There's, there's always been something about the Patriots that you can kind of hang your hat on, and it's Bill Belichick or it's Foxborough or Tom Brady or, or whatever. Um, but I just can't see it with this this Patriots franchise at the moment yeah uh my biggest takeaway is kind of uh related to yours i just want us to put ryan fitzpatrick in canton into the hall of fame um <laughs> he has had one of the most unique careers in nfl history i don't know if you can tell the story of the nfl without mentioning ryan fitzpatrick <laughs> and this was a cherry on top to go into new england 85 yard drive two minutes down you send the pats packing to the third seed and they now have to play on the road no buy i mean Ryan, baby, Fitz Magic. Um, I never believed in magic, but I believe in Fitz Magic. He he almost. I mean, it's not like it's not like it's been a Hall of Fame career, and it's, it would it no, would, it is. He's, he's going in. <laughs> well, look, I, I feel like he needs. He deserves his own room, like off to the side <laughs> of the hall. It's kind of like the the janitor's closet of the Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, but it has been something special. It's been magical. It could be like a little wing, but it's always under construction. Um, so it's kind of half completed. Yeah. It's, that, that it's could... amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. I mean, what a win. And um, there's talk about Brady leaving. I've seen rumors about them, like Brady potentially going to Miami. I mean, I don't know why they would downgrade a quarterback from Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point. Um, but... I, I, I can't see Tom Brady playing anywhere next season. No, we'll wait and see. Yeah, but um, in, in a more serious chatter, do you think Devontae Parker, your boy, Nick, uh, potentially costs Stephon Gilmore, Defensive Player of the Year? Look, it's possible. It's possible. I, I think it would be very harsh to 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 take it away from from a guy because of one game. Yeah. Um, Gilmore has had a phenomenal season. Like, let's not let's not say anything to the contrary of that. But Devontae Parker also is is an exceptional player and he's proved that over the last kind of ten weeks. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to to see Gilmore walk away with Defensive Player of the Year. On the other hand, it wouldn't surprise me to see him not. We we spoke last week. We both said that you know he was, he was about a dollar fifty, dollar sixty in, in the market. Uh, we both said that, that was too short. Um, you know, whether or not that's the case, we'll see soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, Todd, as someone that's uh, kind of followed a few of James's tips, I'm kind of hoping Daniel Hunter or uh, Zadarius Smith could sneak in there. Uh, James, do you think he's do you think he's done enough to win it? Well, I know Aaron Donald might not have. He's really slipped over, to, uh, slipped out of contention the last few weeks. I think I just think it would be lovely, like we said a couple of times, lovely to give it to a D back, and, and Gilmore would certainly be deserving. So, yep. and also even Zadarius Smith, in terms of it's it's also a really different role and quite a nuanced role for sort of you know a guy who gets back into coverage and also blitzes, just a chaotic sort mm. of. Uh, linebacker, so that that would be a really good choice as well. So, yep. but uh, any of these things, committees, yeah, there is Smith, another another phenomenal season. Yeah, and TJ yeah, Watt, another absolutely. guy. I mean, could be the first set of brothers to win Fancy Player of the Year. Had another forced fumble uh, on in Week 17, even though they lost and, and are not playing in the playoffs. Still a great game from him. Even um, Chandler Jones in Arizona. What do you get? Twenty twenty one sacks in yeah, or something like that. So I mean, I really want Strahan's sack 
record to be broken at this point. It's driving me nuts. Someone get there, please. <laughs> anyway, um, biggest takeaways from the regular season. Um, because we've only got four games to cover, I thought we'd throw in a little bit extra. And uh, James, why don't you start us off? What, what's your biggest takeaway from the from the regular season? I know there's a lot, and a lot of it depends on how the playoffs uh, uh, resolve or, or finish up. But, yeah, there's still some, some overarching themes, I guess, from the regular season. What I've really loved probably two, twofold this year is, A, the way it's con- this NFL season has kept changing from week to week. The way we saw it after week four, Ravens were 2-2, Patriots were running away with the Cowboys looked great. That's all flipped on its head within a matter of sort of a couple of months um, when we thought we knew how the whole lay of the land was looking after the first four weeks, as I said. I've also really loved how the, the, the sport itself keeps, at, at this pro level, keeps changing and reinventing itself. We thought running the ball was dead. The Ravens have come out and broken every conceivable rush mark. 14-2 record, number one set in the AFC. San Francisco ditto in the NFC. They've absolutely scorched it on the ground. Bills and Titans wouldn't be playing in the postseason without their run games either. And also look what the Packers have accomplished with Aaron Jones in their backfield this season. 1,600 all-purpose yards and 19 touchdowns, I think. And especially for the Packers, who were so one-dimensional for so long on offense, it was all in Rodgers. That's really helped. I get the merits of throwing the ball more, but when you think about it, would you like the likes of Duck Hodges or Josh Allen throwing it more? I, I, I think big take out as well. There's just that not many reliable quarterbacks in the universe and equally not, which is sort of going to be a bit of a Josh point as well. Not many brilliant, sharp McVay, Shanahan, Greg Roman type minds either. So yeah, I, I, I love the way that, and it could be totally different next season as well. Like, you know, running might go and we see something different come out. I love the way it keeps reinventing itself. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, a, a space for different sort of minds to come in. And when you've got a really good organization like Baltimore or Seattle to an extent, um, Buffalo as well, there's that real chance to change the sport before our eyes. And I, I love that. I love that we're not going to go into another season with same old, same old. So yep. that's a wonderful thing. And uh, I'll just uh, kind of go on top of that. It's kind of a copycat league. I mean, we see teams win MVPs or, or win a, a bucket load of games. Like, you're going to see teams try and replicate what the Ravens are doing. And then mm. in a year or two, it'll be someone else kind of breaking from that mold and doing something different. And it rotates. And that and that rise into my, my over, overwhelming takeaway from the regular season is, is coaching matters, and it's you know there's the difference between good coaching and poor coaching wasn't that unique in 2019, but it was on full display, I guess, in some of the in in opposite ends of the leagues in, in terms of the most exciting teams and the most disappointing teams. The Browns, with their talent, regressed under bad coaching. Bad coaching with Kitchens. The Cowboys finished with a point differential of 113 and failed to make the playoffs. The 2010 Chargers are the only other team in the last 25 years to do that. Another poorly coached team, the 2010 Chargers. But meanwhile, like Kyle Shanahan has made it rain with lesser talent. You've seen John Harbaugh do it and change things with Greg Roman. I just think that that's so important. And you can have talent. You can have a great quarterback, but you need to have the right systems and, and schemes and all that sort of stuff in place. And I think 2019 showed that more than ever that, that how important that is. And it's not a really hot take to say coaching matters, but I feel like people under underrate coaching when they look at quarterbacks performances or players performance i think scheme and and in the, and the environment and the setting even kind of the gm and, and the organization i think that matters as well in terms of just knowing what your role is and knowing what you do and knowing how a team operates i think just behind the scenes all that sort of stuff matters and impacts a team on a week-to-week basis more than we think strongly agree strongly agree. Yeah, james has been talking about kind of the 
the the need for for front offices and, and stability in strong franchises to be recognised. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been talking about it all year, uh, but I, I I couldn't agree more with you guys. I think for that reason, the Dallas Cowboys are the most disappointing team of the season. You look at their at their roster, at their their personnel and their talent. They probably have the most talented roster in the entire NFL on both sides of the ball. They they've got um, incredible riches of, of talent at, at their franchise, uh, and the reason that they're not in the playoffs is simply because of coaching. Um, I wrote in, in my notes kind of before this podcast that Jason Garrett had to go. He had to go. And it sounds like that's that's finally happened, like you said earlier, Josh, probably three or four years too late. Um, and there's really no explanation as to, you know, how that, that I think it was a four-year extension at the time, how that uh, panned out and, and how it was uh, valued by the by the franchise. Um, on the other, the other side, Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans, I think for, from my um, perspective far exceeded expectations. I, I liked the Ravens. I didn't think that they were going to be this good by any stretch. Again, I liked the Titans. I didn't think they were going to be this good by any stretch. Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry have had incredible seasons for the, for the Titans. Um, but really, as, as I mentioned before, biggest takeaway, we've been talking retirement and Tom Brady in the same sentence for, for half a decade now. Uh, I, I think it's finally time that we say one of the greatest athletes ever to play professional sport uh, in the history of humankind is uh, is finished, and I'm not sure that there's anything that anybody could say to change my mind on that. He's saying he wants to play till he's 45. I tend to agree with you. I think he's closer to the end now than he is at 45. I don't think he has two seasons uh, left in him. Uh, I do think he may try and play one more year. Whether whether that will be in New England or not, I, th- I feel like someone will be gone there, Brady or Belichick, and I think it's, it's probably likely to be Brady, and uh, it'll be interesting. Mm. It's going to be a fascinating off-season with all these quarterback changes. Uh, players like Cam Newton and the like as well that potentially may be moved on. Um, Philip Rivers was in tears after his uh, final game, potentially final game with the Chargers. Um, so who knows where where he ends up. It, it's going to be... It's gonna, and Eli Manning, I think, is, is going to be stepping down and retiring as well. I thought Eli retired about six years ago. <laughs> hey, mate. He beat, the Pat, he beat the Pats in the Super Bowl about six years ago, didn't he? <laughs> Do you think uh, you think Brady's done or retiring, James? I think he's done in terms of. I mean, the, the evidence that we've seen this year has been absolutely abysmal. But I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't like. I wouldn't want to sign the papers on on a legend. I think we'll we'll leave that to him and. Hmm. I don't know though. It has been a mess, and it's and and it's, it's probably undid, un, undone this year. Sensational defense, and like Nick's touched on, probably the reason why they won't be winning a Super Bowl is because of their quarterback. So I wonder if a, I wonder if Brad, a mess. I wonder how Bill Belichick felt on on uh, after watching Brady play throw pick six against the Dolphins, and then seeing Jimmy Garoppolo secure the one seed for the NFC. Mm. Whether he he feels yeah. justified in his decision because we know that he wanted to move on from Brady and and start Jimmy Garoppolo, but Robert Kraft went over him and and made that decision and made that decision for him. I know they won a Super Bowl, but it wasn't Brady didn't win them the Super Bowl last year. It was this amazing defense that was the start of it um, last season. I mean, they only scored 13, 13 odd points. Um, so I know winning a Super Bowl kind of means that the trade probably was the right call, but you know they could be sitting with Jimmy G at the moment in this amazing defense, and mm. and could be locked in to win a Super Bowl for the next three or four years. Um, yes, so it's it's one. a weird feeling, isn't it? An interesting one for you, Josh. Looking at Tom Brady as he is now, I was not not peak Tom Brady, but Tom Brady today, 
upgrade or downgrade over Jacoby Brissett? Would you take him at Indy? No, I probably wouldn't take him. Just I'm not I'm not taking a quarterback that's over forty when the difference between yeah. him and Brissett is is a, is a hair split, and I don't think yeah. it would really please Colts fans. I feel like it would just divide Colts nation really. So. Um, yeah, I, there's rumors I, I about Phil Rivers I, coming. I, I, I'm not sure about Philip Rivers. I love Philip Rivers, but I'm not sure. He's 39 and he's, he's seems a little bit dumb, but I mean, the situation in Indy is a little bit better than the situation in, in, uh, in Los Angeles for the, for the Chargers. Definitely. And you mentioned before the rumor about Tom Brady in Miami. I, I can't see how that works for anybody. No. I, I just don't. Yeah. There, there are maybe two or three franchises yeah. that you could see Tom Brady at. Brady Brady to so, Tennessee was a rumor for for a long time, and and you can cannot possibly do that now after the way Tannehill has played. No, no, you couldn't. And and Tannehill, I mean, I think probably regardless of how this playoffs came out for Tennessee, I think Ryan Tannehill gets paid. Yeah, I, I think he he um, at least gets a franchise tag, and they say, all right, do it yeah. for one more season, and then if you if you are, then you're going to be signing one of the the richest deals in in the sport. Yep, exactly. No, no. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that in, in that game as well. But what what an incredible comeback from, from yeah. Ryan Daniel. Yeah, it is. It's quite bizarre. Um, any final thoughts on the regular season before we jump straight into to Wildcard Weekend? We we could have an entire podcast on on regular season takeaways. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree. That's yeah. really cool. Like in terms of yeah, I just wanted to say as well, like talent. It's you know. Everybody can get their hands on talent at this level when it's, you know, we're at the peak of the sport. It's what you can do with that talent, how you can mm-hmm. organize that talent, how you can scheme that talent. And exactly, like, I guess Jer- uh, Garrett stands as such a perfect example mm-hmm. of anybody can get the talent, but what are you going to do with it? So, Yeah, exactly. All right, let's uh, let's get straight into wildcard weekend. Four games to preview. You know, okay slate. Um, two AFC games on the Sunday and, and two games on the Monday. Um, speaking Australian times, of course. First game, Buffalo at Houston. Texans, Texans minus three at home. Total is 44. This game's on at Sunday morning, um, 8.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Um, I death, t- I'm saying the Bills. I'm taking the Bills in a, in a, in a shocking t- turn of events, I'm betting against the Texans. <laughs> but death, taxes, and betting against Houston in the playoffs. Um, I'm going to do that um, this year, next year, and maybe well, at least until Bill O'Brien's not in the uh, Texans' uh, front office and coaching staff. Um, for me, I just, I just love the, I love the Bills. Will, Will Fuller's kind of the Jenga piece for the Houston offense. Without him, they're nowhere near as potent. Um, and um, and with him, it just helps DeAndre Hopkins so much. It gives them that extra space. You can put Kenny Stills in a slot. And things work a lot better. And then without him, I think they're really going to struggle to score points against this Buffalo defense that's fifth in the pass. Defense by DVOA led by Tredavious White, who might be the most underrated player in the league that no one kind of knows about because he plays for Buffalo. Um, but it's a key matchup against DeAndre Hopkins. I, I think Tredavious White will do a hell of a good job in, in terms of locking down DeAndre Hopkins. And the Bills' defense—he's probably a—he's probably a top three corner in, in the league. Yeah, but like, yeah. kind of, no one still doesn't know any, yeah. not much about him because no he plays in Buffalo. Him. He doesn't play in one of those big yeah. market teams. It's—it's—it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, for me, the Bills' defense—they're the seventh best third down, uh, have the seventh best third down conversion rate as opposing offensive converted just thirty-five point eight five percent on third down against them this year. Um, they're kind of middle of the pack in red zone touchdown conversion rate. Um, at 55% of the time, but, um, they don't get too many, um, they have the fifth fewest red zone attempts per game allowed against them at 2.7. So while they do give up touchdowns when teams get into the red zone, 
They're not allowing teams to get to the red zone that much. They're second in the NFL in, in points allowed. So that's a key matchup here. I like that. And then on the other side of the ball, yeah, Buffalo are a little bit anemic on offense, but they even still have a slight advantage against Houston, who have an even worse defense. Um, I, don't, I don't know if the Bills will adjust and, and, run, and, and throw the ball more against Houston's 29th-ranked pass defense. That's allowing 267 yards per game this season. But, you know, they might want to just keep it on the ground. The Texans are 25th in rushing yards allowed per game. Um, and Bills, we know, run the ball a lot with uh, Devin Singletary, Frank Gore, and even Josh Allen will probably be good for 30 to 40 rushing yards a game, and he's always a danger in the red zone to, to run one in. Um, and opposing offenses are converted 48.5% of their third downs against Houston's defense, which is the second highest rate in the NFL. They just can't keep teams off the field. And the only trepidation I have about the Bills is they're 1-4 and four against playoff teams, and their only win was against the Titans before they changed to Ryan Tannehill. So, you know, their strength of schedule is not great. Um, the Texans is really strong. They're six in terms of football outside of strength of schedule. The Bills are 30th. So um, with two teams with identical records, you kind of lean to the team that's played the harder harder schedule. But in this case, I think the Bills are a better team. They're 7-1-1 one, and one against the spread in their last nine road games. Texans are 1-6 and six against the spread in their last seven games as home favorites. Um, and the Texans, the Texans playoff wins. They've, they've got three playoff wins in their entire history against Connor Cook and Andy Dalton twice. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take the Bills plus three and the Bills money line as well. It's, it's shock horror that Josh is betting against the, uh, the Texans in a playoff game. I think you've been saying since about week four yeah. that you couldn't wait for the Texans to play playoffs only to bet against them. So yep. no, no surprise there. Real curveball. This is really, yeah, this is a really difficult matchup and a, and a really unattractive matchup in, in a lot of ways. The Bills are a top 10 defensive uh, franchise. They've been flirting with top five defensive DVOA uh, all season. They're, they're not great on offense. We know that. But they have lifted their offensive DVOA rating from 31st last last year to 21st this year. And, and the second half of the year, they've lifted that up to, to 18th. So... You know they're doing something right on offense, and they're they're certainly developing that part of their game. I think Josh Allen running the ball more has been a big part of that, and and they've certainly looked a bit more dynamic with him being able to move the chains and and uh, kind of get that the the important first down when it's been needed. Houston, um, on the other hand, they've got an MVP caliber quarterback, uh, but you know they've got some talented offensive players, but they're really they're really only ranked in, in the middle for, for offensive DVOA. It's really not a good sign for, for what we feel like should be a, a really attractive offense. It, it, it isn't. Um, Houston get J.J. Watt back. He, he's a super important mm. player for them. He's kind of their spiritual leader. You know, he, he means so much to them, both from a, a, a an, an on-field play perspective, but also from a, a leadership, motivational, um, a, a spiritual perspective Um the fact that he's coming back from a, a torn pec, uh, that, that normally takes 16 to 20 weeks to recover from. He, he's essentially taken eight weeks. Yeah. Um, how how he healthy is, is he? Like, how fit is he going to be, though? Well, well, he said he says that he thinks he could play every snap, but the Texans and Bill O'Brien have a plan for him. Okay. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come off the field every couple of every couple of downs, to be honest. Um, but... You know, he, he is he is Superman in, in Texas, hmm. uh, in Houston especially. But, look, I, I don't think that this Texans roster is built for playoff football. I, I don't feel like they're, they're built to compete consistently at this time of year the way that their, their roster is built. Um, I, I think Buffalo are too strong on defense. They're too tight. They're too hard to score against. And, and that's really what Houston 
hang their hat on, and they're not even that good at it. To me, this game screams low scoring. Unders is the play, as it has been for most of the year, and and I've been really profitable on on Bills unders games hmm. and Bills unders bets in playoff conditions. Stronger defense often comes out on top, as we know. The Bills, by a long way, have the stronger defense. Uh, I'm going under 44, and if I was going one way, the, the Bills at the line. I think you take the stronger defense any day of the week. For me, not only is this the least seductive of the four wildcard matchups, but it's the hardest for me to forecast. I'm interested in this game from a more of a holistic franchise point of view. In regards to Buffalo, I think that, you know, they're building something really, really, really good, really good there. At the same time, they haven't won a playoff match since 1995. So there's, there's that kind of conundrum to solve, first of all, before they can build themselves into a bona fide force in the AFC. I'm also interested from a, from a Texans perspective, um, once again, overachieved considering, you know, they're operating without a GM. The coach is problematic. DeAndre Hopkins has had a pretty pedestrian year for his standards. The defense is a mess. But here we are, another double-digit Texans winning season and the sixth division crown in nine seasons. So for, for, for me, that they're sort of like a challenging franchise because they go against conventional wisdom. It's the reason I didn't like them at the start of the year. But I'm, you know, sort of egg on their face. They've won the division again. Here they are in the playoffs. So if this game was to come down, so I, I, I am finding this game a, t- a tough game to forecast, as I said. So if it was to come down to individual class and individual moments, the edge would probably go to the Texans with that sort of Watson's, Watson-Hopkins tandem. So, you know, potentially money line Houston, I think the Bills can cover. But I think the loser's going to be bitterly disappointed to be going out to a pretty, you know, average team here. <laughs> Whereas the winner's going to sort of heaps to build upon, you know, from again, that franchise perspective. Texans have a stud quarterback there and Bills roster wise, arguably going into next year could be AFC East favorites. So yeah, there's, there is a lot to play for in a really weird wildcard matchup. Yep. Um, yeah. So no, no real play from you. You're just kind of waiting and see. No, no, I think the Bills can cover. Okay. I think three points is really nice. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would lean money line Houston. But, yeah. I forgot to mention, I'm on the under as well. I'm with Nick again um, on the total. The Bills allowed 24 points or fewer in 15 of 16 games, yet a figure no defense has done since uh, your Eagles did it in 2001 in 16 of the 16 games. Um, over the past five years, teams that have held their opponents below 25 points have won 74.2% of the time. I think the first team to 24 wins win this wins this match if if any team at all gets there. Um, I think under 44 is the play. Um, let's talk Tennessee at New England. Patriots minus five and a half. Total is 44. This is on Sunday here at 12:15 p.m. James, what have you got for us in in this one? I've got this sort of shaking out more for what happens beyond this week in terms of should the Titans get through this this massive matchup. Ravens would await for them, which would actually be a pretty good matchup for Tennessee considering the fragility of Baltimore's run defense. So whether Derek Henry, Henry starts bulldozing through all and sundry. As for the Pats, they'd be potentially staring down a second week matchup in Kansas City. And if we've learned anything, it's that Belichick lives inside Andy Reid's brain <laughs> while the Patriots secondary is the exact kind of menacing defense that Mahomes could struggle against. I know Kansas City beat Patriots a few weeks ago, but I, I, I would be a troubling encounter. This game, like that first game, it's a head-scratcher for me. Obviously, Henry, leading rush of the year, could go absolutely insane, and the Patriots' run defense isn't isn't as glittering as its secondary. Um, on the flip side, Patriots' D, which is the league's best, could stifle Henry and force the game entirely into Tannehill's hands. And 
I know you guys have got a heap to say about Ryan Tannehill, but for me, I, I want to see him in this kind of matchup. I'm not, the, I'm not ready to give him, as you said, franchise tag, yes, but not some sort of long-term massive deal. I want to see how he goes against an elite D, which we really haven't seen him up against as of yet. His first game coming in this year was against Denver, who, all right, Denver really, really good. That's probably the best D he's faced. <laughs> I know he, New Orleans was a few weeks, but that was New Orleans at their very worst and most vulnerable. About six weeks ago, that game was played. One interesting state is the Pats have been a repulsive 0-4 and four when the opposition scores 23 or more scores points this season, which is speaking to that really lack of firepower for New England and ability to, you know, match wits or match scores with opposition. Do Tennessee have that kind of numbers within them? Not sure. It reminds me of that first game. I think the Pats will win, but I think the Titans can cover that line. So yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting game. I could see it going in any number of I could see the Patriots coming out and winning thirty zip as well, mind you, but so could could go anyway. Nick, what have you got for us? Well look I We'll talk about the Pats, and we already have, but I really want to talk about Tennessee. And this Titans team is undeniable. I think you mentioned earlier, I thought the Titans might be fun to watch. I thought they might, they'd be interesting. Certainly didn't see them being this good uh, as they have in the second half of this season. Derrick Henry is the NFL's leading rusher this season. Ryan Tannehill has been lights out. He's taking over the starting quarterback role from Mariota. Ryan Tannehill has analytically, at least, had one of the best single seasons in NFL history. Now, just take a second to let that sink in because that doesn't make sense. But analytically and statistically, this has been an incredible comeback and, and recovery season from Ryan Tannehill. He's the third quarterback ever to average nine or more yards per attempt while completing 70% of passes. The first two of those were in 1945 and 1989. That, that's incredible on its own. His passer rating of 117.5 is the fourth best passer rating mark ever. Fifth on this list is Tom Brady from 2007 at 117.2. And, and we all know how good Tom Brady and the Patriots were in 2007. In the last month alone, Ryan Tannehill's completed 90 of 132 passes, 68%, for 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions. He was the, named the AFC Player of the Month just a couple of days ago. They are undeniable the Tennessee Titans, and, and this is, as James said, this is going to be their biggest test and their biggest test for a very, very long time. We all know about the New England defense. They're a top-five defense in both rush and pass defense. They're number one in DVOA defense across the whole season. They've been fantastic. The first half of the season, they were historically good in, in DVOA defense. The, the thing to think about now, however, is that they are, even in defense, slowly regressing. And that's that's something that's, I think, really important at this time of year. Weighted DVOA identifies defensive uh, analysis weighted to more recent history. Debian identifies the fourth best unit behind Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. And fourth isn't bad. Like I think most teams would take fourth in defensive DVOA. When you're coming from first, fourth is, is a fair drop. And their defense carried them all season to the playoffs because – they're basically non-existent on offense. As we mentioned earlier, Tom Brady in the offense is, is they're basically not there. So the thing to think about with, with New England, two of those teams that are above them in weighted DVOA uh, defense, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, didn't make the playoffs. Um, they're bottom 10 in, in DVOA and, and weighted DVOA offense. The Patriots are only slightly better than those two franchises in, in offense. 
Uh, I don't think that their offense and their their scoring capacity will scare the Titans, who are middle of the road defensively. They're, they're not great, but they're not terrible. The Patriots just don't have big play capability. They don't have someone who's, you know, Sony Michelle has been deplorable this season. He doesn't have the capacity to, to, to reel off a, a 40 or 50 yard run. Um, wide receivers, they've got Julian Edelman, uh, but, you know, he's a slot receiver essentially, and, and he's not going to take that 80 yard big, big play catch to the house. It's just not going to happen. Not to mention he's not, he's not 100% either. What the Patriots have going for them is their playoff record and Bill Belichick. They, they have an air, they have this pretense of an air of invincibility, especially at home at Foxborough. But this Pats team is not the Patriots of old. Tom Brady isn't 2007 Tom Brady. He's not even 2017 Tom Brady. They might still win this. It wouldn't surprise me to see them win this game, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walkover. The Titans shouldn't be intimidated. They shouldn't be scared, and they're the better team. They've, they've been the better team for the last month. They've been the better team probably for six weeks. Uh, I think they cover. I'll have a little play on, on Tennessee to win straight up uh, on the money line, but my play this one is, is Tennessee plus five and a half. I, 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 can't, I can't take anything else. Oh, this this situation's kind of looks a little deja vu-y to me in that they looked crap at the end of the season last year and then everyone was saying they were done and then come playoff time, what happened? They they destroyed the Chargers and laid 41 points on them. Um, I agree with you, Nick, uh, that this Patriots team does feel a little different though, and um, but it's very hard to fade them at home in the playoffs. Um, so while plenty of attention's being paid to the decline of Tom Brady, especially from me, um, and the passing game, but the Pats' four best rushing performances came in their last five games. So that's something to note. And it's not, you know, Sony Michelle has been bad all this season. I definitely agree with you, Nick. Um, I think Rex Burkhead and, and James White have really helped um, that running game process. And it's taken a little bit of pressure off Michelle. I think he has he doesn't have to carry it as much. And I think he's been a little bit more effective because of that. Um, I think Bill Belichick can can grind out first downs and some points on offense and then kind of focus on slowing Derrick Henry down and, and potentially force Ryan Tannehill to beat them on the road in the playoffs against their elite number one rated pass DVOA defense uh, in the secondary. Kind of, kind of agree with what James said as well. You know, you've got to force Ryan Tannehill to beat you in the playoffs. Yeah, we've seen it all year. He's been great, but can you do it on the road in the playoffs against this team? I think AJ Brown versus Stefan Gilmore is going to be a hella fun matchup to 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 watch. Um, I think it's the popcorn matchup of the week, probably. But you know, speaking of Tannehill, as as you said, they've gone seven and three since switching to Mariota. He's posted the second best passer rating and the fifth best QBR, um, and he's averaged nine point six yards per attempt, more than a full yard ahead of anybody else in the league over the time frame that he played. So. You know, he's been playing like the 2018 Chiefs for two and two and a half months. But yeah, is it enough to, to go into January and beat a, a good Patriots team in Foxborough? The only other road teams they played against are the Panthers, Colts, Raiders, Tex, and the Texans backups. So it's a massive change of class here. It's like going from a handicap to a group two, I guess, if you, if you're a horse racing fan. Um, but yeah, I'm a bit concerned about the Titans defense as well. They gave up some really long scoring drives to AJ McCarron. Last week, which is concerning. Um, I think there's a couple of key matchups here. I think Logan Ryan needs to obviously own that matchup against an obviously injured Julian Edelman. I think that could go a long way to shutting down that Pats offense who kind of thrive off those short passes to running backs and then Edelman in the slot. 
Um, so they need to shut that down. James White comes alive this time of the year. He's going to be a big, big factor, I think. Uh, he'll catch sort of seven to ten passes a game probably. Um, you can see it happening. Um, the Titans rank 31st in the league in red zone touchdown conversion rate at 68%. On 2.9 red zone attempts per game. So, you know, if they, if the Pats get into the red zone, they're going to score. Uh, the Pats are 10 and 4 against the spread in playoffs since 2014, 7 and 2 against the spread at home since 2013. So I'm not going to bet against them here, but as I said, it feels a little different than previous years with this, with these Patriots teams. So I'm not going to bet on them either. I'm going to stay away. What you can bank on though, I think, is Belichick coaching up a storm on defense and special teams, getting creative. He'll make Rabel look stupid a few times, and that might be the difference. I am going to take the over, though. I think the over is the play here. Over is 9-1 and one in the 10 Hill titans games this year. That's a tongue twister. 10 Hill titans games. <laughs> um, not only have they scored more points with Hill, but they've allowed more as well because the opponents have to keep up. Um, and the overs hit in four of their last, in, in the Pats, four of the last five games as the defenses regressed, regressed somewhat. Um, as you said, in, in terms of weighted DVOA, Nick, they have regressed over the last month down the home stretch. And the over is seven, one and one in Patriots home playoff games since 2003. I'm going to take over 44 now at the key number. Um, and that's what I'm going to do in the game rather than take touch, uh, Tennessee, New England. I'm a New England futures better. So I may just end up back, backing Tennessee on principle to, uh, kind of hedge or or further put myself into a hole um so <laughs> we'll see how we go there but i'm, I'm gonna take the over uh, yeah, that makes sense yeah any final thoughts on that game gents not for me no all right let's move on minnesota at new orleans saints minus seven and a half the total is 50 this is monday morning 5 a.m the minnesota miracle rematch here um in this game but the vikings early winners they received an absolute gift from the sporting gods here with this scheduling it's not at night. That's uh, when Kirk Cousins kind of shits the bed. Um, so um, a good thing is Kirk Cousins is like the opposite of a vampire. He he only works well in the day. The when the night comes, the fangs go out. They go back up into the gums, and he, he turns into a human. So this is good for them. This is good for them. But um, for, the, for the Saints, over their last seven games, so since their Week 9 loss to the Falcons, the Saints' offense has averaged over 36 points a game and actually over 40 in their last four games. And the Saints won six of those content, contests, including each of the last three and five. And they went over the total in all of those. The Vikings have gone over in, in six of their last eight games, and I think they should contribute to the total as well. Um, and the total's gone over in eight of New Orleans' last 11 games against Minnesota. So I'm, I'm taking the over 50 here. Um, that's my play, I think, that with uh, Dalvin Cook back, and Alexander Madison back as well. I think that was an underrated loss as well. I think uh, they just, especially Dalvin Cook, he does so much for them in terms of opening up play action, taking pressure off Cousins. He's always got a, like, I think one in like six or seven runs for him goes for 15 plus yards. He's, he's just a big playmaker. Um, he, he could, you know, Christian McCaffrey had the thousand, thousand yard season, but I could argue that Dalvin Cook's probably far more valuable or the most valuable running back in the NFL in terms of what he does for his team and what he does. And while the Saints are on this roll, the Vikings are kind of stumbled in that horrendous game against the Packers in Week 16. That included just seven first downs. But as I said, no Dalvin Cook in that game. If you take out those last couple of games without without Dalvin Cook, the Minnesota squad's only lost by more than seven on the road just once this year. The Vikings are actually quite comparable to the Saints in terms of yards per play. Um, net yards per pass attempt on offense and defense and other key metrics. 
And while the Saints have looked dominant, the defense has actually looked mediocre, giving up some big scores to the Panthers, Niners, and Titans. And the Vikings, are, they're 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six games against New Orleans, and Saints are just 2-10 and 10 against the spread in their last 12 playoff games as a favorite. That's pretty overwhelming numbers there. And I think the Vikings, they're 9-2 and two in their last 11 games against Dome teams, and that includes beating the Saints in two out of those three games. So I'd lean to the Vikings if I had to around the eight mark, but I'm, I'm more confident in the over 50. Uh, do you agree with me, Nick? Um, yeah, I'm not sure about the overs, to be honest. I, I, I don't like the total. I thought that the, that number was pretty spot on. Um, but yeah, like you, like you mentioned, primetime cousins gets a, a bit of a break this week. Uh, we haven't really seen the, uh, the, you like that? You like that? On, on the, you know, big primetime night game. I just haven't really seen it from, um, but this, this, you know, this is this is a big stage. This is playoff football, uh, and he's playing against Drew Brees and the big time New Orleans Saints, and and they do relish big time games. Um, Drew Brees' record in playoff games is only eight and seven. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure anybody, uh, any quarterback outside of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning would take an eight and seven playoff record. That record includes an incredible Super Bowl run and and a number of close games that the Saints should have won. Uh, plus, he's the NFC player of the week. Spoke about Ryan Tannehill before. Drew Brees' last month has been pretty amazing too. He's broken a number of NFL records. Uh, he's gone three and three and one, and that one loss was by two points to the Niners. Uh, 960-odd yards, 76% completion rate, 15 touchdowns to zero interceptions. He is in form. Uh, and this Saints team is built for tight playoff games. We've seen them all year. They're, they're kind of. They're, it seems like they're in, in tight games almost every week, uh, and, and more often than not, they come out on the right side. Uh, it would take take something really, really special, I think, to make to, to make me bet against them in, in this kind of situation. The form lines are really compelling uh, over recent weeks. The gut, really, at, at this point, says bet with the better team at home. Saints win, but. I like the Vikings to cover and uh, might have a little bit of a play on, on a double like that at, at the end of the show. Ooh, that's what we call a teaser in the uh, mm. in the entertainment industry. A little, uh, little, a little hint there, a little foreshadowing. Uh, James, what have you got for us? I was going to say, speaking of entertainment, these two games are just so much better, at least from a interest point of view, than the, the two AFC games on the Sunday for mm-hmm. me. Um, this week for Stats Inside, I wrote about the Vikings with a particular focus on um, Rick Spielman and his tenure as GM in Minnesota. 14 full seasons there now in Minnesota. At the home, running the run, running the whole show, two playoff wins. Is is there some kind of reckoning about to happen with this Vikings team? Mm. Constant sort of postseason failure, constantly being thereabouts, constantly being humiliated. Even a couple of years ago, where they had their best season, if we remember, when they did the mirrors, the the Minnesota miracle, the Minneapolis miracle, whatever um, Booger thinks it was or is. <laughs> Has he worked out who won that game yet? I mean, <laughs> are you out on Booger? Are you finally out on Booger? He is horrendous. <laughs> you need to know who won massive playoff games in iconic NFL moments. Yeah. That's, that, I feel that, like that, knowing that. the results of playoff games is a prerequisite to commentating on NFL games. You, yeah, you got to know that one. Romo would as well. I, I give him that one. But, but, but really, though, like this Vikings team, I, I – Honestly, out of all the games this weekend, I'm really, I'm, I'm super intrigued by this Minnesota team. So let's just say they they lose or they get destroyed, and it's another. So sorry, back to that Minnesota miracle, by the way, when that was their that was their best season. 
if we remember them doing that. Then they went into Philadelphia in that AFC, in that NSC conference game and got, and Nick would remember this with, mm. with Glee, they got absolutely smashed. Like I think they were down by about 20 points at half time and that might be, um, generous. So, Let's just say they get beaten, they, they get blown away. What happens with, with Spielman, first of all? What happens with Cousins? There's still $30 million left on that contract. Is he tradable? What, what happens with this entire team? It's bursting at the seams from a cap perspective. They've got very little wriggle room. Not heaps of, you know, top tier talent has come through through the draft in the last couple of seasons either. Certainly not sort of playmakers on offense outside of Dalvin Cook, who has a check in injuries history, which has raised its head again in recent weeks down the stretch of the season, which cost them the division. So yeah, this, this could be a massive moment for Minnesota. I don't know what to do. With, you know, do they, do they look at another coach? Is, uh, head coach Zimmer. There's, there's rumours that Zimmer, this could be Zimmer's last game if they lose here. Is um, it? Is it really? So, okay. Yeah, because... there's, there's rumours brewing that they, this may be the end for Mike Zimmer's tenure in Minnesota. Because, yeah, because, I mean, they, I know they love Kevin Stefanski. I know he's been linked with a lot of opportunities elsewhere. Um, I know they've been happy with Kubiak in the building as well this year, especially with the run-pass option game. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and I'm, I've, I've, I'm personally not – Zimmer's not my kind of guy. I, I don't like the way he sort of reacts. I think he's a great. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. I think yeah. that's probably his. Um, I still think he's a decent head coach, but yeah, I think his ceiling is as a, a top end defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think he's sort of he's very old school as well. Like he, he re, um, hence this. You know, this is the kind of running game I don't like. If you know what I mean with this yep. Minnesota team, this is like run first no matter what. Anyway. As for the Saints, like I touched upon earlier, I, I can't believe they're, they're, they're playing on wildcard weekend. For me, they're, they're certainly top two NFC and top three in the league. Yet here they are pitted into a wildcard game against a good Minnesota team. So this is really a banana skin type matchup for New Orleans mm. that, that, that could end really bad, badly for them, which would be mm. such a shame because they're an excellent, excellent team. Um, it's very rare we see 13 and three teams that are this good this weekend. And they're not playing, it's not as though they're playing a Philadelphia or even a Seattle. Well, you know, yep. the, the Minnesota, Minnesota are good. Let's be honest. So yeah, for, for me, it's the theme of the first few games. I think the favorite wins on the money line, but I, I, I reckon, I reckon Minnesota can cover. And yeah, this, I'll be watching it with, with, with a lot of interest because I think anything's possible post this game. No, no, I was just going to say, I don't think we've mentioned it on this podcast at all. Yeah. But do you have a spare 90? 95 minutes or so to, to tell listeners what you think about the Kirk Cousins contract? <laughs> I think absolutely got to bring it up because th- no, b- b- no, because this is, this is, this is a really good team and you can't be paying 30 plus million dollars because it, it hamstrung, it hamstrung, you know, it, it really hurts them. Mm. They could be having another eight to $10 million wide receiver cousins throwing that to this week or a backup running back or another playmaker on defense. I just think that's really bad general managing, to be honest, to give that kind of contract. I really do. I'm all for giving money to quarterbacks, but I need to be absolutely sure that uh, someone is a franchise quarterback. Um, and that's, I don't, I don't know if Kirk Cousins is, I feel like this probably 10 quarterbacks that I would pay. And I, I definitely think cousins is not one of them. So I agree with you. Um, and, 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 yeah. and that's the thing. You try telling that to a fan base who's desperate for a Super Bowl title and has the kind of team that's in place. That's 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 a frustrating matter. Yeah, they it's... paid for what they wanted, not who who he was or mm. who he is. I think that's but not the, the way to do the it. Frustra- the frustrating thing is that the tools are there. He has the skill set. Just can't seem to put it all together. 
but you know consistently. Yeah, I mean he's yeah. had a good season on paper when you look at it, but just these key yeah. moments he never comes up, and this is it. This is the litmus test game for him. If he can win this game on yeah. the road in New Orleans, then maybe he is the answer, and and maybe there is something to this, and they can build on it because I do think they have acquired some good players. They they seem to draft okay. Daniel Hunter's a great find that they drafted, and they've you know like Kendricks their linebacker. They they find these good players, but it just seems to all crumble at this time of the year. So maybe this is the hurdle. But for New Orleans, you know, a loss here would be would be ugly because if they win here, they're going to be they're going to be they're playing against Green Bay, and these that's 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 something they can win. When you look at Green Bay's season, there's no way that Green Bay should deserve a bye week given what they've done this year. And you think New Orleans would be confident they could go in and beat and beat I'd Green imagine, Bay? I'd imagine Saints would be about three and a half point favorites in Lambeau Field next yeah, week. I'd agree. Yeah. So you know yeah. this is it. Like I know that they're probably unhappy that they're playing on Wild Card Weekend, but you know it could be worse. I mean, if Seattle won that game, then you might be playing against San Fran or someone like that. So it's yeah, a totally yeah. different side of the draw. So to avoid San Fran until the NFC Championship game, this is the perfect opportunity for New Orleans. But we've seen them bow out of playoffs after great regular seasons too many times here. Even, uh, even great crazy. games. You look at that uh, um, even last year against the Rams in the NFC Championship. Yeah. For mm. 85 to 90% of that game, they were all yeah. over the Rams, yeah. all over them. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and it just fell apart late through, you know, <laughs> not just the refereeing, but... There's not enough fingers or toes to count sort of games where Drew Brees, um, Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning have been up with like less than a minute or, or two minutes to go yeah. and their teams have ended up mm-hmm. losing these playoff games in heartbreaking fashion. So for Drew and, Brees, and, and this is but, it. He's running out of time. This is it. But you look at, I mean, that that LA Rams team is, is a very different proposition, I think, to this Vikings team for the Saints. And I think you're right, James, that this would be devastating. To, to, to the Saints to, yep. to lose this game. I think it would be completely undeserved. Yep. Um, and the Vikings yep. on the, the flip side would be completely undeserved of, of playing next week. Um, mm. but. You know, I mean, if you win in, if you win in, if you win in New Orleans, I think you deserve to play next week. But well, yeah. off, off, off a single week, you're right. Off a single yeah. week, you're right. But over the course of the season, you definitely play, not. Yeah, who deserves to play next week, New Orleans or Minnesota? It's, yeah. it's a no-brainer. But, um, but yeah. you're right, James. It would be devastating for New Orleans. And I was also going to say that's why, arguably, in the whole weekend, Alvin Kamara might be the most fascinating figure for all four of these games because, like you said, Josh, in terms of Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers. Again, these are past first quarterbacks and maybe it is a, it's the lack of that sort of contingency plan in big moments. Can we hand it off to our running game as well? Mm. Is it there in existence when you're so sort of wide in a particular manner? I guess Brady can, can, can do that and that's been a strength of his. There's been games where he's absolutely just handed off or dumped it off to Edelman and one Super Bowl's doing it that way. Yep. Um, whether do, do the Saints have that kind of, um, that, that, that plan B? And unfortunately, Kamara just hasn't, He's looked, he's looked healthier the last. He's looked healthier he the last month, though. I, I will, he's finished he the year strong. He sort of turned the corner. If we remember that uh, that that San Francisco game with San yeah. Francisco won in the Superdome. Yep. In that last quarter, he was really, really good. He yeah. looked like he's springing. He's, he looked he's, better. Yep. And he's just he's just that kind of guy. I mean, I, I I love the guy. I think he's a wonderful player with just this sort of unique skill set and can diversify that offense. But with that said. Michael Thomas has been pretty good without him, and I know we'll touch on Michael Thomas later in our future stuff. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, let's um, let's move on. I I agree. I do I do think the Saints have the most to lose here of any team on Wild Card Weekend. I know the Pats. You know this dynasty might be over or whatever, but they've they've at least got titles and things. So you know you can draw on something. If the, if the well, Saints lose in another heartbreaking playoff game like this, then especially in the first week, that's that's a devastating loss for their franchise. And the Vikings might be the second most to lose, which mm. is so weird as yep. well. So, um, 
that's why that's that's going to be huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's probably the game of the round. Um, but let's let's go to the last game of the weekend: Seattle at Philadelphia. Seahawks minus one and a half point favorites on the road. Total is forty six. This is eight forty a.m. on Monday morning here. Um, I'm going to take the Eagles here. I love betting on home underdogs in the playoffs. Um, the Eagles prove year in, year out, this time of the year, just how resilient they are. They're 5-0 against the spread as underdogs in playoffs the last two years. They're home underdogs, sorry, home underdogs in general are 16-7-1 against the spread on wildcard weekend all time. And dogs of two and a half or less are 14-2 against the spread on wildcard weekend since 2000. So I think the underdogs, the, the play here, I'm also going to take the Eagles plus a half in the first half because... Uh, the the uh, the Seahawks this season they're allergic to scoring in the first half it seems and in ten of their eleven wins this season they've had to come from behind they're notorious slow starters I think the Eagles um, get up in front in the first half and if if the if the Seahawks do win and maybe they do win they are favoured and they are probably the least injured of the two teams it's a lot of their wins this season have come off Russell Wilson being a magician in the fourth quarter and and, and making things work we saw it nearly happen again against the 49ers, which we touched on earlier. Uh, but, you know, they are banged up. These two teams are, are absolutely banged up. Um, I think the Se- Seahawks' 11-5 and record isn't nearly as good as it might suggest. In fact, I think the the yeah, in fact the Eagles have a better point differential than, than this season than the Seattle does. So that's something to draw to in terms of these two teams. You know, their records show a little bit of a different picture, but I don't think much separates these two teams. And DVOA agrees. Seattle rank 8th. While Philly rank 11th, the clear mismatch is in that Seattle passing game against the Eagles secondary. The Eagles secondary has improved after being absolutely disastrous at the start of the year. They were awful, um, but it's still going to be a liability against Russell Wilson's fifth-ranked DVOA passing offense. But what might hold them back there is this coaching staff's um, narrow-mindedness in establishing the run. They just always want to keep establishing the run. They just always want to run the ball excessively too much. And you know, James touched on it earlier about running the football. But you need to do it efficiently. You know, if you're running at two yards of play, it's not efficient. You need to be doing it efficiently, and that's what the that's what the 49ers do. And that's what the Ravens do. Yeah, well. exactly. Very. It's not the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. It's going to be a very limited run game without Chris Carson, without Rashad Penny. Um, Homer showed a little bit of something. One of the great names in in football, Homer. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, he showed a little bit of something. But you know, much like the game against the Cowboys, the Eagles kind of went in undermanned, outmatched a little bit. But the clear advantage was in the coaching. And I talked about this in terms of my Matt, in terms of my takeaway from the regular season. Coaching matters, and Doug Peterson is a great coach, and I trust him a hell of a lot more than Pete Carroll. Um, I think that's a clear advantage here at home. They've got the better coaching staff, and you know, for all the crap I've said about Carson Wentz, here's some humble pie coming your way, Nick. Um, Carson Wentz became the first NFL quarterback to pass for 4,000 yards in a season and have no wide receiver with 500 yards. It's pretty, pretty nuts. Um, so I think he, the last, the last, yeah, the last six weeks, Carson Wentz really made me eat a huge, big piece of humble pie. And I'm glad because I, I liked Carson Wentz and I, I named him an MVP candidate, um, to start the year. And that's probably why I was a little bit like, are we sure he's good? Cause I was disappointed that he was letting my prediction down, but he, he finished the year strong. And I think, Boston, Darren Sproles 2.0, Scott, may actually be the key here. And who would have thought that that maybe the best Boston of the week of Wildcard Weekend will be in Philly? Uh, so, you know, he, he, he was massive for you guys against the Giants last week. And Seattle's allowed 175 rushing yards per game over its last three. And it yielded 153 in its loss to San Fran. They're allowing 5.7 yards per rush over their last three games, the second worst in the league. 
So if they can run the ball, run the ball well and keep them guessing, keep uh, Russell Wilson off the field, I give this, I give the Eagles a chance to win this game. Um, and I think, and, and, and go to the next round and go to San Fran and, and see how they go. They probably might get gutter stomped against San Fran, but I, I give them a chance. 10, 10 point favorites? Yeah, potentially, but their backs against the wall here. Their red zone defense has stepped up. They've allowed touchdowns on just 33% of opposing offenses' red zone trips in the final three weeks of the regular season, fourth best in the NFL during that stretch. They also rank fourth in third down conversion rate as opposing offenses have only converted 34% of the time. So their ability to get off the field on third down, clamp down in the red zone, big reason why the Eagles kind of won that NFC East and, and, and made the playoffs and, and why they get to host this game. And that's why I'm going to keep picking them. I'm here, and I'm going to pick them against the Eagles. I like the under 46 as well. I think uh, the last game they played was like 17-9 or something. I'm expecting a bit of a low-scoring slugfest again here, Um, and so I'm going to take the Eagles. Do you agree with me, Nick? Are you on board? (laughs) Well, I I think that there has never been a... uh... A better game for Fletcher Cox to break out the underdog mask. I think this is the perfect bring it out to, to bring it back. Look, I've said it all year that, that I'm just I'm just glad to be in the postseason again. Um, I, I really thought that, that Philadelphia were going to be strong Super Bowl contenders uh, preseason, and the season it just hasn't worked out. This, this has been a, a disastrous season, really. But at the end of the day, we're we're still playing into January, and that's that's something that that I think. You know, Carson Wentz, like you said, I think he can hold his head high after this season. It's, it's been it's been a depressing season, but you know he, he's shown why he's the franchise quarterback, why why the franchise sees him as a quarterback for the next decade. You don't want a franchise quarterback is not meant to carry his team every week of the season. That's not what they're that's not what they're paid for. They're paid to 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 carry the team when they need it and to get them out of those sticky moments and to you know when the team is down to really put them on the shoulders. Uh, and carry them through, and that's what he's done. He's done it five weeks straight. Um, he's been he's been amazing, and, and he is the single reason, uh, in in my eyes at least, why Philadelphia are, are playing playoff football again. Can can they go any further? I I, I don't really know. I, I wouldn't count it out, but I, I certainly wouldn't be betting on it. And and I haven't bet on the Eagles all year. I, I was surprised that the Seahawks uh, were only favoured by a point and a half. We know how resilient, as you touched on, Josh, how resilient this Eagles team is. Backs against the wall. They've shown it for the last month. Um, they've done everything they had to do. Only just, but they've done it. The, the equation is pretty simple for Philadelphia. Stop Russell Wilson and, and you beat the Seahawks. It's why I preferred playing Seattle this week to San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, much more multifaceted, multi-varied offense. They're fantastic on defense. With Seattle, you stop Russell Wilson and you stop the Seahawks. But as we all know, stopping Russell Wilson is far easier said than done. Hmm. Guys, I think it's pretty clear that you know how much I love Seattle and I love the Seahawks. <laughs> and I'm not going to jump off them this week. In fact, I love them here. I really do. Seven on one on the road this year to Seahawks. And for me, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's that deb- debatable that they've been the much more reliable, consistent outfit, much more than Philly for the course of the season. And they've had a much, tougher schedule. I know the point differential comes into it. It can be a bit misleading. Even down the stretch when Philly were winning those games, it wasn't against, against much. Um, know how banged up Eagles are. I know Seattle are as, as well. But if we go back like six weeks ago, and you mentioned that as being, Josh, that um, that Philly-Seattle game as being a, a sort of scrap 
It was actually a trouncing that particular game. It was 17-3 for most of the match. Seattle very much control and a really junk touchdown right at the end um, to Zach Ertz to make it 17-3. Seattle were all over him in that game. And for me, have, have Philly sort of got better from a health perspective since that game? I'm not too sure. I think they're as banged up as they've been at any point of the season. Hence the whole practice squad and the the, the bunch of uh, no no names that have that have stepped up. Um, something else I'm really interested in as well is this, is this narrative fa- factor. All season we kept on saying, "Oh, the NFC East, who, one of these teams has got to win this, and they're going to get to that wild card weekend, and they're going to be big time outsiders." Why is it that we've all suddenly changed our minds about that? to the point that it's pretty much a pick em game now. Um, as I, I just come back to that, 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 that aspect of Philly winning those four games down the stretch. What was it against the Giants twice, Miami, and the other one, guys, was Washington, right? Lost, it, it, lost to Miami. Lost, lost to, Miami. to Miami. Okay, so... Was, Cowboys, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Cow- sorry. Down the stretch. So... I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. Like, I think this was an amazing effort for Philly to get this done when they had no right to from a roster perspective. But I really think this is a massive step up in class. We just saw Seattle playing against, you know, pretty much the best team in the league and, and, and coming short by a matter of centimeters against the best team in the league. And they were undermanned as well. They had this weird, unique aspect to be able to come back from any sort of challenge within a game, within a season. I, I really like Seattle here. But the caution is if my, my, my sort of pumping the brakes a little bit on going completely mental with Seattle is the defense. I think this is what it comes down to, especially with, with Wentz. What we've seen from Wentz is he's unflustered in, in most in recent weeks. What is it, seven touchdowns and zero interceptions during that four-zip run. And Seattle just have not been the kind of team to put any pressure on opposing quarterbacks whatsoever in recent weeks. Which, talking about contracts, they're going to have to think long and hard whether they do want to play, pay Clowney having him in the building. You look at this game last week against San Francisco, they were eating them alive. They were even handing the ball off to Kittle in run situations, knowing that Seattle couldn't tackle them. Mm. And that's that's a big concern. You look over the last couple of weeks as well, Seattle haven't produced a turnover in two weeks. They've given up 400-plus yards in, in both of those encounters, 20, 25-plus first downs as well. The defense is a train wreck, and that that's that's something that's really bothered me. And I, I can accept that because that has been the story all year with Seattle. They give up a lot of yards, but they get those critical turnovers. Those critical turnovers are dried up. And when they don't come, it, it, it's, it's enormous for Seattle. So... And that's what I mean. That's Wentz's. That's what I've loved with Wentz recently. He hasn't blinked in those situations. Hmm. Um, and if Seattle aren't bringing it, he's just going to just pop it off here, pop it off there, throw it out of bounds if need be, but just make sure he doesn't do that. It just doesn't turn it over. So that's what it's going to come down to me. But yeah, everything is just pointing to me. I just think Seattle are the better team. They're going to better playmakers, better quarterback as well. Um, but can the defense, this is, this is, we talked about Kamara in the previous game, Clowney is in this game. This is his moment to do something. Um, okay. I don't yeah, mind. Yes. All right. If Philadelphia, if, if Philadelphia can win this game, it, it will without a doubt be the greatest moment in Carson Wentz's short career. And, and I just want to, we talk, and I, I guess I've kind of taken, you know, a little bit jokingly and stuff through the year, is Carson Wentz really that good? From a Philadelphia perspective, Philadelphia's had some some legitimately great quarterbacks, albeit in, in 
not a fantastic history, but you know, Ron Jaworski, Donovan McNabb, there's there's been some some legitimately great quarterback. Carson Wentz is, is not only the first player in, in NFL history to throw for four thousand yards and, and have no receiver catch for catch for over five hundred. Carson Wentz is the only quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history to throw for over four thousand yards, period. Nuts. It's a good year. It's a good year. Uh, backs against look, backs look, against the wall, and, and he he came up trumps. Yeah, and and if he can do it again, and he's I mean, with all the injuries and and the personnel issues that that they've had all season, it, for Philadelphia it comes down to Carson Wentz performing on offense. As I said, you stop Russell Wilson, you beat the Seahawks. But on offense, if Carson Wentz and a bunch of other guys, this this would be the greatest moment in his career if he can beat Russell Wilson in the Seahawks this week. Yep. He I did would... win a Division Two college championship. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I know, North Dakota State or wherever he yeah, was. That's, that's right. Um, I would say with this uh, this game, just given the sheer amount of injuries on both teams, I would wait until Monday morning, uh, wait for the final mm. team lists, and then kind of while you're watching yep. the Minnesota-New Orleans game, that's when you probably would be making your bet. I know the line may change. You may lose your value or whatever. And if that's so, yep. then just don't have a bet and just bow out and just watch. But... Um, if, yeah. if, you know, there, if Zach Ertz is stuff. playing, if Lane Johnson's playing, things like that, that's going to change things because... There is still some doubt on Miles Sanders as well, who's yep. been probably by far the most dynamic player on offense in the second half of the season for Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. But Jordan Howard, Jordan Howard was, you know, he dressed last week. Yep. Um, I think he played a couple of snaps, but he really didn't get much burn. I think think that Doug Pedersen maybe had one eye on, on this week uh, in the event that, you know, we're still as banged up as... As, as we are. As we have been. Yep. Um, but... Yeah, you know, he is he's ready to play this week if needed, Jordan Howard. So. Okay. So that's just yeah, just a word of warning. I think that's the best advice, just given just the sheer amount of injuries here. And uh going back to the Texans game, if you if you're convinced that Will Fuller is the Jenga piece, he's apparently gonna be a game time decision as well. So maybe you wait um on that one as well if you think he's a, a crucial cog. But uh, apparently according to sources it's very doubtful that he plays, so it looks like he'll be out anyway. Um, and that's probably why the line has moved to a two and a half at some places. So if you want to get the plus three, I'd be jumping on straight away because I don't think that's going to be gone or be there come game game time kickoff. Guys, Jadavian Clowney, three sacks on the season. Yeah. Uh, one quarterback hit in his last three games as well. Yeah. Uh, so if you take out yeah. that, if we remember that game in San Francisco when he went crazy. Yep. Uh, five yeah. quarterback hits in that game. This is a season of nothing from, yeah. from Clowney. We're right. talking about first, you know, number one overall draft pick busts. He's, he's, he's a major contender. Hmm. I don't know. He still does a lot. I mean, it's the sacks. He still gets a lot of quarterback pressure and, and things like that. So it might not be great on the stat sheet, but. I think him being a big in is is going to be helpful, but you're the one back at the Seahawks, not me. Uh. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, but that's the thing. I think they could be so much. I think they could be devastating as a team, Super Bowl winning type team with a little bit more of a pass rush. The likes of which we saw in that San, that that template was there when they beat San Fran in San Fran. That was that was the crystallization of everything I I kind of thought Seattle could be, um, and which they haven't been in the last couple of weeks. Yep. All right, let's uh, go to lock of the week now, and uh, we decided off-air that uh, the Bills plus three would be our lock of the week this week as a show. That's kind of where we're all aligned or a little bit mixed on all the other games, um, although uh, both Nick and James like the Titans to cover at the line. I'm a little bit more skeptical, but, yeah, there's two that you guys are on the same page there. Um, let's talk best bets. Um, yeah, as I said, Bills plus three is the lock of the week, so that's that's clearly my best bet. I don't like the Eagles plus a half. Um, in the first half, I think uh, they go into halftime with uh, with a lead or at least a tie 
uh, score there. And then my long shot this week, Michael Thomas, $4 for most receiving yards throughout the playoffs. Pretty good matchup against the Vikings. He's matchup proof anyway. But then he'll face the Packers, and we've seen Julio Jones on a few occasions torch the Packers in the playoffs, and I think Michael Thomas has that ability as well. And then, you know, if that gives them a, a, a NFC Championship berth, he's a good chance to have a, a big game again there. And he, so he, he could win that award without even playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, he could have just three games of 100-plus yards, and, and that'll be enough to, to give him that win there. I know $4 is a little bit short, but um, you're just looking around, and it's just... Is it too many question marks or teams with the buyers there? You've got to factor in to, to that to that mark. So that's why I'll, I'll take the $4 there on Michael Thomas. Nick, what have you got? Buffalo plus three, um, as we said, is lock of the week. I've got a couple of long shots, as I kind of mentioned before. Same game multi, you can get New Orleans Saints win and Minnesota to cover at plus seven and a half. You can get as as basically a double for, yep. for $3.60, which I don't mind at all. But also, as I mentioned, uh, Buffalo plus three or plus three and a half, whatever you can get. And under 44 match total, about 3.75. And check around for, for best odds. But at the moment, as, as we record now, uh, 3.75 is the best. Yep. Um, I, I also really like that. All right. Uh, James, what have you got for us? Yeah, really endorse that Michael Thomas bet. I quite like that from the, the $4 receiving throughout the playoffs. Uh, in the same sort of realm, Derek Henry, $13 for most rushing yards throughout the playoffs. I think that's really good value, especially if the Titans can get past the pass this week knowing they'll have the Ravens the week after and considering Baltimore are known for everything other than their run prevention. So there's an opportunity there for Derek Henry to sort of scorch through. Um, one other thing, guys, hope we took the advice a couple of weeks ago with Gonzaga. They just won. They're 16-1 now. They were $21 two weeks ago. They're into nine and the number one team in the country. So I hope we um, I hope we, we made that actionable. It's been a while since Damn the Zags were number one in the country. <laughs> they are now, and it's it's, it's a celebratory, celebratory time. Okay. And, uh, Nick, uh, I know obviously Daryl is not here, so why don't you give us the uh, Stats Insider models, best bets uh, for this week, and then um, we'll recap uh, the models' results probably after the Super Bowl uh, for the entire season. But what are the best bets for Wild Card Weekend for the model? Yeah, obviously not, not a lot of games, so not a lot of plays uh, at, at Caveat, as always, is check back before kickoff, you know, as the weekend goes on. The best so far, we've got Buffalo, Houston, under 44, the 6% green play. Uh, the model really likes Seattle this week. It's got a, a decent 6 or 7% edge on Seattle money line. Also likes the Seahawks at the minus 1.5, again, 6 or 7%. Uh, so the model really likes Seattle this week against Philadelphia. Uh, and the last one is Seattle, Philly, under 45.5. Uh, is a 3% orange play. It's only a little edge, but an edge is an edge. Um, and if you're following edges, then, you know, as, as anyone knows who follows a betting strategy, you, your best bet is to follow that strategy throughout and, and, and keep going with the strategy as, as long as it's profitable, I guess. But, uh, yeah, not many on this week, but, yep. uh, that's all right. Only four games. Yep. yep. Um, and then again, live NFL playoff coverage on Stats Insider. If you're betting live or just want to follow the likelihood of your team's bet saluting, there's no better place to follow live NFL than statsinsider.com.au with live scores, play by play, in game match probabilities, and, and that's from kickoff on every single game. So just head to statsinsider.com.au slash live or statsinsider.com.au slash NFL. You can follow them on Twitter at Stats Insider. You can follow us on Twitter as well at Woot and Y. And that wraps up our wildcard weekend and we'll be back. Next week, until next time, peace.